0: to Hotel Bar Sessions, the podcast where three philosophers sit down at the end of a long conference day to chop it up at the hotel bar, which, as we all know, is where the real philosophy happens.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Hotel Bar Sessions. I'm Jason Reed, and this week, as usual, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Lee Johnson and Rick Lee, and this week we are talking about gossip. But before we spill the tea on that, let's get our drink orders and our rants or raves. So, Lee, what are you having and what are you ranting or raving about?
0: I'm going to have a Amaretto Sour. I feel like I've ordered this a few times in the last few weeks. I mean, maybe I'll change soon. Is that your new Fireball and Diet Coke? (laughs) (laughs) It's my new Fireball and Diet Dr. Piper. (laughs) I take all my sugar in the form of alcohol. (laughs) So I'm going to rave today about well named fictional characters. a little bit of a spoiler for those of you who haven't watched the finale of Succession, but by the time this airs, it will have been out for a few weeks, and so, you know, press pause or whatever you want to do. If you don't want to hear this, mute it. But one of the characters' names in Succession is Tom (laughs) Wamsgans, which is such a weird name that I always thought that there has to be some reason because everyone else just has, like, normal names. And I recently found out that... Wams is the name of a baseball player from the early 20th century Bill Wams who is known for being the only player in the history of baseball to single-handedly execute a triple play. Uh Now, if you have seen the finale of Succession, this will make perfect sense, and I just think it is absolutely brilliant.
1: Wow. I was today
2: years old when I found
1: out. (laughs) You always tune into the show for your baseball trivia. (laughs) (laughs) So, Rick, what are you having and what are you ranting or raving about?
2: I'm going to go back to one of my favorites and make a small pitch for a sponsorship. I'm going to have a local option outlogger. Mm. Local option, call us. I think I've mentioned this in the past. The local option is a bar that is my local option. They (laughs) brew a really nice beer called outlogger. Today, I am ranting about my colleagues' abuse of my calendar. (laughs) I don't know if you all experienced this, but we've had the same academic schedule for 50 years. And yet, somehow, the end of the academic year seems to surprise so many people that now they realize, oh, we have to have every possible meeting we could have in the last three weeks of the term. So screw you colleagues for abusing my schedule.
0: (laughs) Jason, what about you? What are you drinking and what are you ranting or raving about?
1: So I'm going to have a rum and Coke made with a Mexican Coke. Nice. Talking about sugar made me think about this. I don't even know, but if you can get Coke from Mexico, it's sweetened with cane sugar, not high fructose corn syrup. And I'm one of the people who believes that does make a difference. I don't drink a lot of Coke. I have a couple every year, but Latin bodega in your neighborhood, you can usually find some Mexican Coke.
0: Are there a lot of bodegas in Maine?
1: <laughs> there is one Latin bodega in Portland. Okay.
2: Also, Jason's just took the livelihood from a number of Iowa farmers, but
1: that's okay. Hey, it is thoroughly subsidized high fructose corn. No, that's so true. They don't have to worry about anything. I'm going to be ranting about Target.
0: Mm. Because Target
1: recently, if you've seen the news, they have pulled some of their Pride merchandise from their shelves. Mm. And as much as I think that's a cowardly move on their part, I'm really more pissed at the people who've made this decision, I guess they would say, necessary. And that is these people, if you've seen these videos sometimes on Twitter or elsewhere, people who go into Target's PetSmart's, etc., that have Pride displays, and start verbally haranguing the employees there about their belief in Satanism and pedophilia like weird characters out of a Jack Chick comic. And I find these people contemptible both in terms of what they are trying to do in their politics of homophobia, transphobia, etc. but also I find them contemptible in terms of their tactics, their methods. Like anyone you can yell at at a store is never the person you should be yelling at at a store. I mean, uh, as someone who is concerned about global warming and fossil fuels, I don't go into my local Shell station and start yelling at the guy behind the the Slim Jims about drowning polar bears, <laughs> because I realize that the guy behind the Slim Jims is trying to just make his way through his day and has nothing to do with that decision. So it's contemptible, both in terms of its objectives and in terms of its tactics and I really feel like this whole idea of making service workers frontline for various issues, I mean, I feel like this is partly why COVID response collapsed so quickly in mm. this country. This is what the airline said. We're tired of dealing with the shit of trying to get people to masks. And this whole attempt to make service workers the front line of politics is ill-fated, mainly because people are just jerks about it. <laughs> here, here. So, Lee, we're talking about gossip, but what gossip do you have about gossip? <laughs>
0: So gossip seems like exactly the sort of topic that serious philosophers would wave their hands and disgust at as not worthy of consideration. But here we are at a hotel bar, and I think we have to acknowledge that, especially now in the age of social media, we do live in a gossip-obsessed culture. You know, Hesiod, the ancient Greek poet, once said that gossip is mischievous, light and easy to raise but grievous to bear and hard to get rid of. And similarly, in Leviticus, we find Moses warning with the admonition, do not go up and down as a talebearer among your people. So both reminding us of gossip's ability to captivate our attention and the real harms it can inflict. But it's not so easy to just dismiss gossip as mere frivolous chatter. Some evolutionary biologists link the emergence of language itself to gossip. And sociologists have long argued that the ability to engage in gossip played a vital role in our species development, enabling us to form complex social networks, navigate alliances, and share information about others. So we have to acknowledge that gossip is not without a kind of dual nature. It serves as a source of transmission for both amity and enmity. It can strengthen social bonds, create a sense of belonging, and forge alliances, but it also has the power to breed division, stoke resentment, and ruin reputations. I think it's worth asking, is gossip a necessary, even essential operation of human sociality? Is gossiping morally blameworthy in every instance? Or are there instances in which gossiping is justified? What distinguishes gossiping from reporting or divulging or even just communicating? So, Sada voce, guys. <laughs> it's time to spill the tea about the enigmatic world of tales whispered, secrets shared, and reputations shaped. Hello? How do you know? Natalie told me. Told you what? That
3: her husband's gay.
0: Since what? Since-
3: Bartha! Oh my god,
0: what else do you know? Girl, I know so much. Oh, I'll be So there's an old adage that advises never say anything behind someone's back that you wouldn't say to their face. And really kind of what I want to get to, hopefully before the end of this episode, is whether or not that adage rises to the level of an imperative, a moral imperative. But before we do that, I think we have to really try to nail down what gossip is. Does anybody want to hazard a definition of gossip and what distinguishes it from other ways of relaying information?
2: I'll take a first whack at it. It seems to me that what necessarily has to belong to gossip is that the gossip teller has some information that is not widely available. I'm not sure whether that has to be a secret or something told to them in confidence, but it has to be a piece of information that is not widely available and that they're sharing it, not because the person with whom they're sharing it needs to know it, but they're sharing it either to get some benefit out of sharing it, or they just find it pleasant to let other people know that they have this titillating piece of information that they just can't keep quiet. (laughs) I don't know if that's a succinct definition, but that would be my definition.
1: I think that definition works for me. I guess the other thing I was thinking about is, does the person that's being gossiped about or persons, it seems like they have to in some sense inhabit something of a shared world mm. with the person is being relayed to. Mm-hmm. I mean I think gossip often functions within particular professions or in particular institutions or even something like a neighborhood. I think that if someone started telling you some random story about someone you have no contact with, unless the story is really good, <laughs> it really wouldn't count as gossip. I think that's how I understand celebrity gossip is functioning. If you don't have gossip locally available to you, you can always outsource it to the magazines and websites that provide stories about these people. But it's because there's, in some sense, knowable to you. Like, you couldn't sell a magazine about the goings-on of Columbus, Ohio to outside of, you know, like you couldn't sell a gossip magazine about some random place because people have to have some sort of connection to the person being gossiped about. It seems to me.
0: I mean, my sense is that gossip always implicitly involves some kind of betrayal of trust. So if you're communicating something in such a way that it doesn't involve a betrayal of trust, that we would just say that you're reporting or you're sharing information or whatever. But gossip, I think, necessarily involves telling something that you shouldn't be telling.
2: Mm. You know, I was immediately going to counter that. But the more I try to think of counterexamples, the more I think that they're actually not counterexamples. I started out, I left aside the betrayal of trust issue, and I just said that it's a piece of information I have that not very many other people have, and I'm sharing it. I think that goes with Jason's celebrity gossip example. So that's not necessarily a betrayal of trust. And I have a friend, I don't know if she listens to this podcast, but she subscribes to Us Weekly, except she calls it U.S. Weekly, because that's (laughs) where she gets all of her news from. (laughs) And, I mean, she knows everything about every celebrity, who they slept with outside of marriage and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not sure that's a betrayal of trust, but we do seem to call it gossip. So yeah,
0: I'm on the fence here. I might disagree there. I think that is a betrayal of trust. I think the betrayal happens between the gossiper and the gossiped about. So I do think that celebrity gossip is a betrayal of trust. I mean, celebrities will say this, that we don't have any say in what personal or private information about our lives gets out there and these tabloids. And it is, in a way, a betrayal of our generic garden variety trust that people should have between each other. I don't think when your friend reads U.S. Weekly that she's betraying the trust of the celebrities, but I think that the gossiper is betraying the trust of the celebrities. Mm. Also, if I could just add one more thing, you defined gossip as having a little bit of information that not everybody has. And I guess what I would like to hear from you is, like, how that's different than, for example, the information that you have as an expert scholar. When you share that, it's called research, right?
2: (laughs) I call that gossip, too. (laughs) Like, just this morning before we started recording, I was gossiping about William of Ockham. (laughs) Slut. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm on the fence, because... Part of what I'm hesitant about is that if I do something in public and someone else relays that to another person, is that gossiping versus if I tell you that I had an affair with the letter carrier and then you tell someone else that? That's gossip. And so, yeah, I'm really on the fence on this.
0: Okay, so let me add what I think is the other characteristic of gossip. So one is I think it involves a betrayal of trust. But I think the second thing is that it is necessarily untrustworthy or you can't put a lot of faith in the trustworthiness of the information. So if you have an affair with your letter carrier and for whatever reason I'm your neighbor peeping Tom and I see it myself and I... Say, I saw this with my own eyes to someone. I'm not sure that that technically is gossip. I mean, it is gossip in the first sense that I'm betraying whatever implicit trust as neighbors that we have between each other, but it's not gossip in the second sense, which is that it is true. I'm just relaying information. But I think that the opposite can be true, too, which is that I can relay things that I don't necessarily have a relationship with someone. So I'm not necessarily betraying trust about them by relaying information about them. But by virtue of being gossip, it's not reporting or research. It's by definition, at least possibly untrustworthy information.
1: I think one of the things that interests me about the word gossip is it does have this strange neutrality with respect to truth or falsity. Like spreading rumors, that's a very different claim than someone's just gossiping. Mm. The rumors phrase suggests that this is dubious at best. It may even be maliciously constructed. I mean, to say that one is gossiping is to some extent say that we're kind of indifferent to the truth or falsity of it. Like it's more entertaining just to chat about it than it is to actually ascertain if it's true or false, right? It seems to me that gossip is an inherently gray concept in the sense that it's almost like this would be interesting if it was true. We don't know if it's true, but wouldn't that be interesting if it
0: was true? But see, I think that that is what a rumor is. So we're talking about unverified Mm -hmm. information, If I'm relating to you verified information, then we don't call it gossip. Right. If I'm Mm -hmm. relating to you something that is unverified, then by definition, it's a rumor, right? It's gossip. And I think in that sense, they are equivalent. So my inclination is to think that all information that we call gossip involves things that we assume qua gossip may be untrue. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think that By default, we assume that gossip is more likely than not untrue. Mm -hmm.
2: But then the weird thing is, you read the quote from Hesiod, why is it that gossip spreads so quickly and easily? If I told you, Lee, that I'm sleeping with my letter carrier, and then you tell Jason... First of all, it's not untrue because I told you that and you know it. But now you tell Jason and then Jason, on his way to the bathroom at the hotel bar. He's going to stop at someone's table and say, did you hear about Rick and his letter carrier? And then they told two friends and they told two friends and so on and so on and so on. And so I would focus more on what it is that the gossip teller is trying to enact in telling the gossip more than the veracity of the information i think one of the reasons why it's not trustworthy is because when someone tells gossip to someone else they want to show either i'm in the know and you're not or i'm closer to this person than you are Or, hey, I want to get close to you, and so I'm going to share a bit of information in confidence that really isn't my information to share. And so the focus on whether it's gossip or not would be much more on the gossip teller and what it is they're trying to get out of it.
0: I completely agree with you. I think that when we're talking about gossip, and this is where I think the evolutionary explanations are correct, we're talking about trying to forge alliances or social relations in such a way that I'm declaring or I'm exhibiting in the sharing of this information who my enemies are, who my friends are. And sometimes that means that in order to form a relationship of trust with you, I'm going to have to betray someone else. And my betrayal is evidence that you can trust me or that I'm a trustworthy person. The other thing, of course, is that sometimes if I want to get into a group, I'm going to have to say, here is information that I know that you don't have. And I may not be betraying a trust with someone else, but I may be just establishing a trust Mm. by sharing that information. Mm. But I do think that is essential that Somewhere there's either a betrayal of trust or a kind of reliance on a bit of information that we would not call information because we, by definition, presume it to be more likely than not untrue, a rumor, gossip.
2: Mm-hmm. And often awkward to verify, right? <laughs> because what are you going to do? Go up to me and say, so Rick, what's up with your letter carrier? Like, th- that would be awkward, and so you're probably not going to do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, this would be, of course, after several other questions, like, why are you calling it a letter carrier?
2: <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to call it?
0: A mailman or a mailwoman, a mail person.
1: Oh, huh. I don't know, for a long time I've been calling it a letter carrier. I think that establishing trust is an interesting problematic around gossip because there's a certain implied gesture in a lot of gossiping that I'm doing this with you, but it's often said about gossip, if someone is gossiping to you, they're probably also gossiping about you, right? There's a certain Mm. sense in Mm -hmm. which the whole exchange, I think, hinges on forgetting that moment, thinking that Mm. like, oh, this person must trust me, they must see me as a confidant, they're telling me this special knowledge when really it's probably more likely That if they're saying that to you, they're probably saying something else about you.
0: Yeah, I think Mm. that that is another bit of conventional wisdom that most people adopt. That if somebody's gossiping to you, that they're also gossiping about you. But this kind of brings me back to that adage that I mentioned in the beginning. Don't say anything behind someone's back that you wouldn't say to their face. I think that is, in my view a good moral principle to live by. But I also know that if people believed that about me, right, like actually believed that I wouldn't say anything behind their backs that I wouldn't say to their face, that they would share less information about mm. themselves uh-huh. with me. Because what I've basically said is I'm a person that keeps no secrets. And that's where it gets, I think morally complicated because we do need secrecy to build relationships Mm -hmm. and we do need privilege literally private spaces with other people in order to in the kind of old way of talking about forge alliances but just build trusting relationships and that's where I again want to ask this question like can we take that as a moral imperative to not say anything behind anyone's back that you wouldn't say to their face Well,
2: it's weird because if you think about it in terms of Kant's moral imperative, so that you should always act on the basis of a principle that you could will as a universal law for everyone. So if you say it's okay to lie in certain circumstances, now what happens if you universalize that? Then you can't actually believe anyone and all of society collapses and so on. Mm. And here there's a really weird, to use the technical term, dialectic, In this trustworthiness that I think Jason was pointing to, namely that you're gossiping to me to sort of win my trust— but you're winning my trust by being untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. And so exactly. I'm trusting you because you're untrustworthy. And this is something that can't be universalized. But what can be universalized is that you would never say anything about anyone that you wouldn't say to them. And I think that is a moral principle that could easily be universalized. Easily, I mean, in the sense of philosophically. Socially, I think it's a different question.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that second problematic that is the hard one to tackle. Because, of course, as many objections to Kant's moral theory go, Kant just seems unwilling, really, to grapple with what we might call special obligations, right? Mm -hmm. like Mm non-universalizable obligations. Most of our actual social relationships are built- on the basis of special obligations, I owe you personally, Rick. I owe you personally, Jason, something that I do not owe everyone. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Yeah. Friendship is a different bond than, you know, you refer to my peeping Tom neighbor. And, <laughs> and by the way, they're very close to being peeping Toms. Um, so, yeah. Hey, we couldn't hear you while you were shouting into your headphones. So if you have feedback or suggestions for future topics, or if you just want to pick a fight with one of our co-hosts, or in fact all of us, just visit us at www.hotelbarpodcast.com and click on the interactive page. If you want to belly up to the bar with us, at least virtually, you can always email an audio clip to hotelbarpodcast at gmail.com. If it's interesting, we're going to steal it from you. If it's not, we'll send you our Venmo handles and you can virtually buy us a drink.
0: So I'd like to play this clip from the film Doubt, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, just to begin this second section. So Philip Seymour Hoffman is a priest in this film. I'm not going to tell you anything else about the plot but he is giving this sermon about gossip, and this is how it goes.
3: A woman was gossiping with a friend about a man she hardly knew. I know none of you have ever done this. That night she had a dream. A great hand appeared over her and pointed down at her. She was immediately seized with an overwhelming sense of guilt. The next day she went to confession She got the old parish priest, Father O'Rourke. She told him the whole thing. Is gossiping a sin, she asked the old man. Was that the hand of God Almighty pointing a finger at me? Should I be asking your absolution, Father? Tell me, have I done something wrong? Yes, Father O'Rourke answered her. Yes. You ignorant, badly brought-up female. You've borne false witness against your neighbor. You've played fast and loose with his reputation, and you should be heartily ashamed." So, the woman said she was sorry, and asked for forgiveness. "'Not so fast,' says O'Rourke. "'I want you to go home. "'Take a pillar upon your roof. "'Cut it open with a knife. And return here to me. So the woman went home, took a pillow off her bed, a knife from the drawer, went up the fire escape to her roof, and stabbed the pillow. Then she went back to the old parish priest as instructed. Did you cut the pillow with a knife? He says. Yes, father. And what was the result? Feathers. She said. Feathers, he repeated. Feathers everywhere, father. Now, I want you to go back and gather up every last feather that flew out on the wind. Well, she said, it can't be done. I don't know where they went. The wind took them all over. And that, said Father O'Rourke, is gossip.
0: So this clip reminds me of an old saying, you can't unring a bell. Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, in doubt, seems to really capture that perfectly in his story about the pillow and its feathers. What do you think about this analogy? Well, I think the unringing
2: the bell partly captures what Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is getting at. The other thing is that you've done something wrong, and the woman knows that because she's in confession. She wants absolution, and the priest is trying to show her what it would take to make this right, and it is impossible. Mm -hmm. You can't take it back, precisely because the feathers are all over the place, and she can't possibly recall all of them. Mm -hmm. And this is really the problem with gossip, I think, is that People really get hurt and you can't go and collect all of that back. You just can't because mm-hmm. it spreads like feathers on the wind.
0: So I guess the next obvious question is, I'm curious, what, if any, harms have you guys suffered because of gossip? Or alternatively, what, if any, harms have you seen done to others because of gossip. Well, I think I could say some more
1: specific stuff about harms. I don't want to get into that. But you (laughs) mentioned earlier at the beginning about gossip in terms of social media. I think one of the interesting other things about the way we interact socially now is that ordinarily, if I heard a certain story about someone I know... There's a whole question enters my mind. Does this seem like this is something this person could have possibly have done? Mm-hmm. And granted, mm-hmm. we all wrestle with that in the sense that some of us, we don't know people as well as we think. And people show different facets of themselves to different people. But I think that one of the things that I find very striking now in terms of social media is I have people who I would quote-unquote call friends – Term is mutuals. People I've never interacted with in face-to-face yeah, meet space. Yeah. Like we've gone back and forth about things we find mutually interesting. And someone told me something, because sometimes this happens online, like, oh, you people are all friends with X. You should know this about X. Why you people friends with X? And it's kind of a like call to quote unquote cancel someone, really. And there's a sense in which I wrestle with the fact that I really I don't know anything about this person. And also at the same time, I don't have the rapport set up where I could even say, Hey, heard this thing. Do you want to talk about this? So there's a certain sense in which this is what leads the feathers to be even more on the wind in social media because the thing that would stop gossip would be someone saying, like, no, I know X and I know the story you're talking about and it's been totally distorted so I'm going to pull you aside and stop this gossip. Or even if someone's saying hey, I know X, I'm not spreading this story because I know this person, Mm -hmm. this is hurtful, and so on. So, like, the turbulence is ripe in social media for those feathers just keep, keep spreading, because we interact with so many people who we don't have knowledge about, and we don't even have the basic rapport to even ask to verify or dispel rumors we hear about them.
2: Yeah. I'm enticed by Kant's moral philosophy, but rather than Kant's moral philosophy, I appreciate a moral philosophy that puts the emphasis on developing one's judgment. Because the rules are not hard and fast. Jason, as you were talking, I could imagine two radically different examples, I think, although they're incredibly similar. And one is, as you point out, oh, I heard that so and so sleeps with their graduate students, and I don't know how you could be supporting their work, and so on. And then if they are, and one of their graduate students in a Me Too moment is like, hey, I want people to know this person is not a decent person. I have been put in this power relation that I am not benefiting from, and the structures are against me coming out in public. I mean, is that gossip? It's a powerful use of information for someone to say, as in the Me Too movement, this happened, and I want everyone to know about it.
0: Yeah, but... I'm on thin (laughs) ice here, but... I have some problems with the blanket statement, Mm -hmm. trust women, you know, so just like carrying on the Me Too thing. So the idea that you have to trust that anyone who's reporting a wrong that's been done to them is necessarily true. And I'll just be 100% honest, because I know. I know specific situations Mm -hmm. in which they weren't true. Do tell. (laughs) No, but you you see what I'm saying, right? That, I mean, this is, again, part of the nature of gossip, is that we have to, I think, presume that it is possibly Mm -hmm. untrue. Now, earlier I said more likely than not untrue. And I think in this situation... Relative to the reports of sexual assault and sexual abuse, I would want to tamper that definition and not say, let's assume it's more likely than not untrue, but just that it's possibly untrue. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, again, we don't have real evidence other than a firsthand reporting that we would normally require to say that something is true. Now. I think later uh, we need to talk about whether or not Me Too was a gossip campaign, Mm -hmm. was a gossip movement. Some people have said so. I think there are ways of justifying that, but not in the ways that most of the people who said it was gossip would justify it. But I do think that we need to be cautious about these. And what's difficult about gossip,
2: as Lee, you were pointing out earlier, is that by its very nature, if I'm being told the gossip, I'm not in the know. Right. And it also is a statement of an apparent fact or a purported fact. Right. But the verification of that to find out whether it's true is either extremely difficult or impossible. And so as a philosopher in good conscience, I have to say, I can't touch that. Like, I can't do anything about that. I just have to put it to the side. Now, am I always a philosopher in my social dealings? I hate to admit, but no, I am not.
0: (laughs) Knowing what we know about the sociality of philosophers, that's probably a good choice.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and for those of you who aren't in philosophy, our discipline is rife with gossip. Yeah,
0: yeah. If I could just for a second, though, return to what Jason was talking about earlier, where you – are the recipient of gossip and do not have a trust or social relationship with the person being gossiped about that is strong enough or robust enough to either verify the information or report back to them that they're being gossiped about. I think there are still better and worse ways of being a recipient of gossip. So I think that in general— if the person being talked about is someone who's not a close friend of mine or who I don't have strong social bonds with, you know, just as like being a decent human being, it's always a good strategy to take the tact of saying, well, they're not here. You know, maybe we don't have all the information. Let's not talk about things with people who aren't present. Let's not talk about people behind their backs, whatever. But also I think... And this actually happened to me that sometimes you can hear really terrible things about people who you do know and who you do have a good social relationship with and say, that has never been my experience of this person. It's not that I don't believe you. I believe it's entirely possible that they were that way to you, but that's not my experience with them. And you know, until I have the facts sorted out I just need to kind of note for the stenographer that that is not my experience of them.
2: Yeah, that's often a fraught situation, though, because the person who is telling you this wants you to be on their side and that you're not, Mm -hmm. you're suddenly against them. Right. I mean, that opens the door to the fact that the telling, well, gossip has this, to call back to a previous episode, gossip has this kind of gatekeeping function, right? It does, yeah. And Mm -hmm. so if you tell me this gossip and I'm like, you know what, that's not my experience, then all of a sudden the person is going to keep me out from then on because they're going to realize that I'm not with them, I'm not on their side or whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's hard to be the recipient of gossip and delineate rules for judging whether or not the gossip is justified.
1: Mm. But I do think it's like the way that people like Spinoza and Hume approach stories about miracles, right? You have to ask yourself, who is this person telling me this? What objectives might they have? Right, You don't know. You can't verify the actual event itself, but you can, in some sense, assess some of the motivations of the person talking to you. Does this person have ill will towards someone? Do they have their own frustrations they're trying to get out? You can't judge the facts of the matter, but you can judge, go back to what Rick was saying about judgment, you can, in some sense, judge the situation you're in at the moment. Yeah. You know, Or, I mean, going back to the Hesiod quote you began with, sometimes the other thing about gossip is we're just sort of passing the time. (laughs) The quote about the lightness and the weight of it is that sometimes we're just passing the time and we don't really mean to do anything to anyone, but we're passing the time with some potentially damning stories about people. And sometimes people don't think about if someone heard this, what this might mean beyond this is just something to talk about.
0: I think another dimension to recognizing the situation in which the gossip is being shared is also recognizing the social relationships, the structural social relationships between Mm -hmm. the person being gossiped about, the person gossiping, and the person who is the recipient of the gossip. And there's this quote by Andrea Dworkin, I'm not quoting it exactly right, but she said something like, You know, when women talk amongst themselves, we call it gossip. But when men talk amongst themselves, especially about women, we call it theory. (laughs) And I think that that's also true. And many, many people have written about the feminization of gossip. You have to assess relationships between all of these players in the act of gossip, the person being gossiped about, the gossiper, and the recipient of Mm -hmm. the gossip. Saying that, Lee,
2: makes me think, I know a person, and I won't say in what context to protect the innocent, (laughs) but at first I thought this person was... A gossip and I called her that. Other people would say, Oh, I think I'm gonna tell her about this. And I'm like, you need to be careful, she's a gossip. Of course it's a she. Well, <laughs> some of the worst gossips I've known in my life are men. Yeah. And I've yeah. come to realize she's not a gossip, she just can't keep anything to herself. <laughs> You know, she's as forthcoming with information about what she had for lunch the other day and so on as she is about information she's learned. She just doesn't have a filter. And so there I've come to see she's not trying to enlist me in a conspiracy, which I think is what the gossip teller is often trying to do with the one they're telling the gossip to. Hey, psst, come over here. And now we're part of a cabal. We're in a conspiracy. And part of the way this conspiracy operates is that the gossip teller is hoping, and maybe even relying too much on the fact that they will remain anonymous, Mm -hmm. that I'm not going to say, oh, Lee told me Mm -hmm. that Josephine was, you
0: know... Sleeping with her letter carrier. (laughs) Sleeping with her letter carrier. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is the really complicated thing, is that to the person who's being gossiped about... With respect to the person being gossiped about, and with respect to the truth, the motivation of the gossip doesn't matter. Just going back to what Philip Seymour Hoffman's analogy demonstrates, you can't unring a bell. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: no, I think the motivation does not. And that's also because the motivation, as we've talked about already, could be varied. I might want to be part of your in-group or in with your group, or I might want you to be part of my in-group, or I want you to think that I'm more powerful or closer to power than you are or others are. And so there could be many different motivations for it, but for the one being gossiped about, it doesn't matter. The harm is done.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I'll just speak from my own experience. In the times that I've been gossiped about, and it's been quite hurtful, it was almost inevitably the case that the person, the gossiper, said... Well, I was just really concerned about you. (laughs) You know, it's like... (laughs) Mm -hmm. take a long walk off a short (laughs) pier. Hey, listeners, we've got three quick asks from your hosts here at Hotel Bar Sessions. First, if you haven't done so already, make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast on whatever platform that you listen to podcasts. Second... Hop on over to Twitter and make sure that you followed Hotel Bar Podcast there. We're at Hotel Bar Podcast, and you can find the Twitter handles of all three co-hosts in the bio there. And third, and probably most importantly, we would really appreciate it if you could recommend us to your friends and share our podcast posts on your social media.
1: So we mentioned earlier the Me Too movement, and I guess that brings up the issue as to whether or not that is itself a kind of gossip. And if it is, is that problematic or does it show another more positive side of gossip that we haven't gotten into yet?
0: Well, I think that a lot of people have argued that online quote unquote gossip campaigns, and we'll say for now, like Me Too, were important and necessary because the normal avenues of reporting, in this case, sexual assault – Had been denied to victims. So, in that case, Me Too, and I think a lot of people have noted this about that movement, was a politically effective deployment of gossip. Do I think that there weren't some innocent victims swept up in it? No. Right. I don't know whether or not I would call Me Too a gossip campaign, although I I do weirdly think it kind of suits the two aspects of my earlier definition.
2: Yeah. The only hesitation I have is, as you pointed out, I think we're all familiar, maybe all too familiar with the ways in which ordinary ways of reporting incidents like this can be shut down for those who are undergoing these experiences. And so going public would be another way to say it, might be the only avenue left available to them. Another reason I'm also hesitant to call it gossip is I'm not sure that the one telling the gossip is attempting either to be in on some social group or to be perceived as more informed or more powerful I think they are attempting simply to spread factual information, and they're also doing it to complete strangers. To go back to something Jason said in the first segment, I think that in order for something to be gossip, we have to share, in some sense, the same space. And a lot of Me Too reporting was about people with whom I shared gossip. No similar space. They weren't celebrities. So I couldn't even own them as parasocial relations. I just didn't even know who the hell they were. And yet there I'm reading a tweet about Joe Blow. I find it hard to call that gossip. So I don't know. It's it's tough.
0: Well, I don't not think that the women who reported their stories as a part of the Me Too movement were trying to gain some power. As a matter of fact, I think they absolutely were trying to gain some power for themselves. But the main thing that they were trying to do is establish trust. And establish trust that all the normal social avenues for establishing trust had been denied to them. Mm. Gossip is another way of establishing trust.
2: Right. Also, in this case, the veracity is difficult to ascertain. So it has also that feature that I can't verify whether Joe Blow did the thing that someone is saying he did.
0: Yeah, right. And so unlike other ways of establishing trust with someone where I'm like, here, read my work cited or whatever, you know, (laughs) I mean, in this case, we're saying, look at the larger structure of social dynamics, gendered social dynamics in our culture. You really ought to trust me and not the people who are flatly denying this. Because neither one of us have a citation, neither one of us have a video, neither one of us have a recording, although obviously in many cases they did, but you have to trust somebody. What is your default disposition towards who to trust? This is maybe the one and only case that I can think of where I would use gossip in a non-pejorative sense. Right. I think I would say that Me Too was a gossip campaign, but I don't think that I mean that pejoratively.
2: But then you don't worry that in saying that it was both a gossip campaign and not morally wrong. Right. You're not afraid that you're opening the door to other instances of gossip and the claim, well then they're not morally wrong either.
0: No, because I don't think that, like I said before, rules of gossip can be universalized. (laughs) But I will say that just going back to my definition in the first segment, I said that gossip involves a betrayal of trust and gossip is potentially untrue. That we have to assume that gossip is potentially untrue. And I think both of those apply in the reports of the Me Too movement. There was a trust that was obviously, in this case, a trust between the purpose perpetrators and the victims that the victims betrayed, rightly, justly betrayed, Right. but that also we can't know that it's true. And in some cases it wasn't true, but we had to make a decision about whether or not to grant that trust to the reporters, to the gossipers in this case, rather than to the people denying the gossip.
2: Yeah. And so then we're back to judgment. Right. Yeah. Jason, you don't you don't want to go on the record as saying anything about me, too.
1: No, I mean, I do think what's interesting is that, and this is what I was thinking about when he was talking, is that there's a certain sense in which gossip can be understood in this way. As we've mentioned, it's utilizing almost like a kind of weapons of the week in the John Scott example, right? In the sense that the ordinary venues have been denied. The ability to get reporters or, in some cases, get universities to take things seriously. Instead, people are utilizing social networks and gossip to do something that other institutions should do. I guess I wonder if part of the Me Too aspect is an attempt to utilize gossip so eventually, at some point, gossip around these issues wouldn't be necessary, so that mm. the actual institutions that are enforcing norms and regulations would actually enforce norms and regulations around this, right? That you only have to gossip about it because the university, to take one example, is so reticent to do anything. But if the university would actually do something, then the gossip wouldn't be necessary.
0: Yeah, completely agree with you, Jason. And if institutions were doing something, actually doing something, then we wouldn't have to accompany the Me Too movement with a broad imperative of trust women, Mm -hmm. because it would be the case that we would take women's accounts of sexual assault as not more than likely untrue, Mm -hmm. because we would say, look, we're not in a situation in which this kind of offense is constantly silenced and ignored. I think that it would move these claims from gossip to... Like, just garden variety reporting.
2: Right. And there would be an investigation which would attempt to get at the evidence and the facts and so on in ways that gossip can't really. Right. Yeah, I think that's crucial in the Me Too movement was the avenues are closed, right? Something must be done. And we need to, as Jason said, I like this, sort of work in the direction that will get the institutions back on track such that we won't have to address this problem by means of gossip.
0: Just look, for example, at the kind of obvious distinction between whatever police reports these women filed that were ignored. Those were not called police gossips. They were called police reports. Right. But when they say it online, that I don't think is wrong to call gossip. But that's only because the reports weren't taken as— Reports.
1: Right. But it seems like now we're talking about not so much the ethics of gossip, but the politics of gossip.
0: But is there any Mm. difference? (laughs) Well,
1: I think the politics here, in in the sense that we are taking into consideration in our judgment the position of the person spreading the gossip with respect to institutions of power, prestige, and so forth. Right. We're saying that, oh, We understand that the use of gossip because all these other doors have been slammed and their face have been unresponsive, which – and I want to flip this around for a second because then I think we should be even more suspicious of when people who are powerful and have access to all sorts of institutions want to utilize gossip as well. Exactly. Because I think one of the other interesting things about gossip, the way it functions, is that gossip is in some sense – Performative, it's self-constituting, right? If I say the phrase to you, people are wondering about Rick and his letter carrying. Well, there's a certain sense in which by the very fact that I say that, it becomes true. Because suddenly you are wondering about Rick and his right. letter carry. I mean, this is the way in which the rhetoric of someone like Trump uses gossip. He'll say yeah. people are saying this. And like once he says that, it sort of becomes true. Because people are saying, or people are
0: wondering. What about Hunter Biden's laptop? Yeah.
1: And so it does allow someone to con- Constitute a claim ex nihilo from nothing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. And when someone who has access to all sorts of institutions of power also wants to claim gossip as well, I think one has to be as suspicious of them as you are willing to be understanding of when someone who is denied access or proper recourse to institutions utilizes gossip to get the job done. Yeah.
2: And that points out a strategic use of gossip that often celebrities and certainly corporations and sometimes politicians engage in. You know, if there's a question about someone's sexuality, and I'm thinking about a politician, they might go to a gossip columnist or US Weekly, or certainly to a (laughs) PR specialist and say, hey, could you get out there in the wind the fact that I'm sleeping with a different woman every night? And you could say I'm slutty or whatever, but what's going to be the content of this is I'm a stud, and now I'm taking care of a different problem by means of sharing this gossip. For those of you who watch Succession, there are a lot of examples of the strategic deployment of gossip in order to change the conversation or get information out there in a way that it won't be traced back to the source of the information. I think also the old Tony Curtis film, Sweet Smell of Success, shows the strategic use of gossip as well. And I'm with you then, Jason, that use of gossip in the face of Me Too has to be damned and has to be condemned and has to be called out for what it is.
0: Yeah, and I think that we really have to be aggressive about not letting the verity of gossipers' gossip be judged by other gossips. (laughs) You know, I'm thinking here, for example, the whole online anti-vax universe. We have this problem of gossip getting out there and anything repeated often enough gains the ring of truth, and then it never somehow returns back to reliable well-worn age-old standards of determining truth from falsity. It just gets rehashed and rehashed through this sausage grind of other gossips. I think that's one of the things that worries me most about, I mean, to be honest, like just the whole alt-right conspiracy Fox News universe is that it just becomes, you know, throw shit at the wall, see if it sticks. And if it sticks, throw some more shit at the wall.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. I really like this idea that the veracity of claims that are put out there are often judged by people who themselves are veridically challenged, let's say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, veridically challenged. (laughs)
2: I'm going to use that. Yeah, so when Mike Lindell is verifying something that Donald Trump said, (laughs) we know
1: we're in gossip hell. And if we're going to call me two a gossip campaign, we also talked about how the attack on critical race theory is a gossip campaign.
0: Yeah, 100%. Mm. Such a good example. The anti-trans
1: legislation is also a gossip campaign. Like Mm -hmm. Everyone has this supposed first-person story they heard somewhere about some kid who came home crying because he learned about slavery.
0: Or that some kid who wanted to use a litter box in a school. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Or think about cancel cultures. A lot of it's a gossip campaign. Mm -hmm. Someone supposedly heard a story about something happening on some campus. And to some extent, it does show You know, a lot of what people believe or don't believe has to do with their already existing political and other sort of inclinations. It kind of reminds me of, I don't know if the site's still active, but there used to be that site, literally The Onion. Mm. And all it did was document the times that people spread onion stories (laughs) as true Mm. stories. And they were all kind of like the one about Planned Parenthood opening an abortion mega center somewhere Mm. that would do like thousands of abortions. Like that one got spread by particular kinds of people because that's what they think about the politics around abortion or like you know the other ones like about obama having an illegitimate son these ones got spread in particular circles because they were a kind of confirmation bias in terms of what people already thought
0: yeah and you can't put those feathers back in the pillow yeah yeah
1: for sure So gossip, good, bad, or ugly? What's the final (laughs) word here?
0: (laughs) Okay, I'll go first. I think that in general, gossip is bad. I don't deny, of course, there are many positive benefits to gossiping, but I still think in general, I try to live in a way that I don't say anything behind anybody's back that I wouldn't say to their face. Now, that is not to say that I do not say things behind people's back. I guess I would say I think it's important that you're ready to own up to anything that you say behind someone's back to their face. And I don't think that that's a way of putting the feathers back in the pillow, but I do think it's a way of not forming enmities every time you form an amity. Mm, nice.
2: Yeah, I think following what Lee said and from our earlier invocation of Kant, one aspect we didn't look at is that when I gossip about someone, I am using them as a means to some end that I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And with Kant, I think using another person just as a means to some end I have is always wrong. Mm. I also think, and maybe this is something for our afterthoughts episode, but I think this topic is a really good example, both of what philosophers do at the hotel bar, (laughs) but also what philosophy does in general. Like we take something, gossip, we ask, what is it? How does it function? What are the ethics surrounding it? What are the politics surrounding it? And how do I excuse my own doing it? (laughs) (laughs) And how do I make it so that I could do more? So I think this was a really good example of the tools that philosophy brings to many aspects of life that we wouldn't think are necessarily philosophical topics.
0: What about you, Jason?
1: I mean, I guess I don't think we can ever have done with gossip – but I do think we can try to be more reflective about our relationship in these nodes of gossip and think about where things are coming from and why and what our role is. I think in general, like all Kantian ideas, like the fourth formulation of the categorical imperative, never say something behind someone's back that you wouldn't say to their face, mm-hmm. is a generally good one. Although like all of these categorical comparatives, you're going to fail it But I will say that one bit of gossip that I'm happy to spread here is that the hotel bar sessions, we need supporters. Yes. I've heard that a lot of people are talking about it. Everyone's talking about hotel bar sessions needs the people to keep supporting it. So you can support us by going to patreon.com slash hotel bar sessions. You can support us at any different level And the more you support us, the more we're willing to hear some of your gossip and make it part of the show.
0: Can I also just add one piece of advice to everyone before we close this out, which is don't forget that people gossip about good things too. Mm. You know, this is kind of a turnaround on the never say anything behind anyone's back that you wouldn't say to their face. But my grandfather used to tell me, whenever you hear somebody say something good about someone behind their back, make sure you tell them about it. Uh, Make sure mm -hmm. you do say it to their face. I think that is a good way to think about gossip as well. Rick, you going to call us a ride? I'll get us a ride. All right. I will catch you guys next time. Bye. Later.